You are now, now, tuned into Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America, hosted by Tramel Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People, get ready. Ready, ready. Progressive Action is now live. What's going on, people? We back. What's going on, Cos? I'm chilling. What's going on? No, these people's crazy, man. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I know <laughs> it's a lot going on, man. Yeah, right I mean, it's, it, it, these people, I, I don't think they get it. And it's sad. You know what I'm saying? We go, we go dedicate the first half of the show to Crystal Young. You know, she was a guest on the show, our first show at that. And um, we go dedicate the first half of the show to Crystal Young. Oh, okay. I, I think that she she deserves this. Well, what's going on with Crystal Young? What you know, like what's going on in RTO? Oh man, uh, you know, see what people don't understand is that I supported Crystal because I believed in her, and and I went against other people for Crystal. You know what I'm saying? Like when when they was calling her Google Queen, I was like, nah. Got to give her a chance. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I thought that she was very knowledgeable in, in, in you know, her, her position, which I was fooled. You know what I'm saying? And she even admitted it. She said, you know, I'm learning as I go along. And I'm like, as a chair position? Like, you don't have time for that. You got to come in there with a certain skill set and a certain level of knowledge. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I did. I did hear from a couple of people that that said that yeah, she's learning. You know. Yeah, I mean, and and people even offered to help her, and she denied they help. You know, you had Staten who offered the help. You had Joe and them who offered. You know, come run up under us, and we'll help you. And she turned all that down. And you know, she gets into office, and one of her major complaints was that Joe Costales did not help her. Well, was he supposed to? I mean, <laughs> when President Obama got elected in the office and on the inauguration day, did President Bush give him pointers? I don't think so. No, of course not. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't, ex- you know, so whenever you win an office like that, whenever you win a position, you can't expect the person that you beat or the person that's uh, going out to help you out. Not at all. It, it's, it should be the responsibility of the president the acting president, to get you the right resources that you need. Right. If you're lacking in any. You know what I'm saying? You can't, it's funny. You go from Sharp Stewart to chair of conductors and towers, both divisions. That's like going from city councilman to vice president of the United States. How can you do that? Of course, it would look great. The jump looks great. But are you really qualified for that position? Exactly. What happened to mayor? What happened to being senator? Congress, right. Governor. What happened to those positions? Well, even state assemblyman. You know what I'm saying? She, she, she skipped e-board. She skipped vice chair. She skipped recording secretary. And went straight to a prominent position in the union and is crying and whining. When she don't get no help. And her friends is helping her 
crying wine. You know what I'm saying? Let's get into the, the, the grievance that she did with the MTA the other day. If y'all don't know, M, uh, restricted, medically restricted conductors are being sent home, laid off. The MTA is calling it no work available. I'm calling it being laid off. There's no budgeted positions. That means that you're being laid off until a position open up and then you will come back to work. So if she knew the contract, she would have known the contract only called for 40, only 40 medically restricted or restricted positions, right? Right. That could be picked from, right? Right. That's the, um, that's from the agreement from 2009 that was agreed, um, that was agreed upon where it's supposed to be 40 slots available for restricted duty conductors. And that was done by Roger Toussaint. And let me, let, let me diverge off of that for a second. Samuelson going in office a third term. The membership has grown since 2009. Why hasn't Samuelson renegotiated the number to get it increased? More members mean that more people will possibly be restricted. Why has it stayed at 40? You understand what I'm saying? It should have went up. Of course, no doubt. But let's get into the grievance. Basically, see, Crystal is learning. She, she don't understand that the contract is the contract. The contract don't go, out, go about common sense, logic, emotion, how you feel or what's right. It goes by the words of those contracts, the words that's in the contract. She didn't understand that. So she tried to reason with the MTA and say, you know, you could put conductors on the platform and, you know, they could deter crime and, and, and things like that. Deter crime. Crystal. I did not come to transit to deter crime or be a police officer. That's police work. The MTA was right when they told you that. We not here to do police work. And I'm not here to do police work. How dare you tell the MTA that we'll be there to, to deter crime? Wow. You putting us straight in the line of fire. I'm yeah. not here to deter crime under any circumstance. I don't want to go check out no unruly passengers. I don't want to get no, um, go check any suspicious packages. I don't want to do no police work. But you over there, you telling the MTA, we could, we, we there to, you know, we could deter crime. I'm not, I, I, I don't even have the tools to deter crime. That was a bad position to take. And, and this Kia Pua guy, see, they think that we don't know what's going on. They, they think that we don't get emails. They think that we don't get phone calls. And know what's going on, cuz. Yeah, because we get a ton of emails. <laughs> a ton of emails. <laughs> with information in it. With information, right. It's like, you know what wow. I mean? So, so Kia Pua, you're another one. You're not supporting Crystal. I want to know why Crystal Friends is not talking about that. You don't answer the girl emails. The people who she want to get released, you don't approve it. You got other people. You don't support her. And why you don't support her? I want to know, is it because she's a woman? Is it because she's a black woman? Or is it both? Why you not supporting her? Y'all sit like right across from each other. Why you not supporting Crystal? And Crystal, you can't be scared to rock the boat. These people are already not messing with you. You shouldn't be complaining about, oh, Joe Castales didn't show me. You got Steve Downs who's there. He's retired. He has nothing else better to do. He's, he's the chief of staff. He should be showing you. You got Kia. He should be showing you. You're afraid to rock the boat. Why? You're afraid to rock the boat for the same reasons that they're not messing with you now. 
they not messing with you. You're afraid to rock the boat because you, you, you're afraid you may be an outcast. You're an outcast now. You know that. Why are you afraid? If they not supporting you, you need to come on a platform who, that made you. Uh, Facebook. Go into your group and let the people know, like, look, I'm trying my best. I'm not getting the support in the union like I should. They not supporting me. Let the people know because then you'll get the people behind you. But you scared to rock the boat for your own good. So how can I expect you to go all out on a limb for me for my good when you won't even go on, a, on your own limb for your own good? There's no way possible that I can have faith in something like that. You have to speak up. Stop letting them run up all over you. Tell your friends. You see how your friends come to progressive action? Oh, give her a chance. Oh, do this. Oh, do that. No, I don't see nobody saying nothing to, to Kia Poor. Get your crew. Tell Hershey Wilkins to go to Kia Poor and have a talk with Kia Poor. Tell Rodney Jeffries to go to Kia Poor and let, and let them know what, what he's doing to you. Because I'm hearing everything that he's doing to you. He's not getting back. In fact, I... I as far as I understand, you emailed him the other day. He didn't get back to you. He telling people that. You ever thought about that? You know what I'm talking about. That and your chair position, it's not like an e-board position. It's a it's a top position. You should have came with a certain amount of experience. You should have known what that position entailed, which means to tell me that you didn't do the research of the position. You 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 a conductor. I want to know. What you know about towers, because tower people been calling me with problems and you've been giving them a, a dead end wall. It, it, and it actually started with tower people calling me and you've been giving them a dead end wall. You came from you came from flagging. You was a flagger. Just recently, you got flaggers time cut. From inexperience. People are complaining. I understand you tried to keep this on the low. But your friends that don't, they don't know what's going on. Why? Because you're not telling them. And they thinking that, oh, we that's being mean or we making stuff up and, and, and all this other stuff. That's not the case. And her friends is not being honest with her. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, cuz? Her, yeah. her, her friends not being honest with her. Really? They, why are they worried about us? They need to go in the union hall and make noise for her and get them to rally behind her. Because that's where it starts. She can't do nothing without the support. We could support her all we want. But if Kia Pua don't sign off on it, what she could do? Nothing, basically. I mean, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> all these people shouldn't worry about progressive action too much, you know? They, they worrying about us too much. They worrying about us too much. You no, know why? Because they see that we got power, we got influence, and people listening. They afraid of that. Because a lot of people are listening. A lot of people listening. A lot of people. You know what I'm saying? And they checking out the website. You know, we, we, we ain't been active for too long. Right. They're checking out our articles. Yeah. We, we ain't been that. And people are sending in articles and, and people is calling. It's so crazy that I was, I was taking a meeting with a lawyer, right, today. I get a phone call. And... I usually don't pick up numbers that don't, I don't know, call ID. I got like 5,000 numbers in my phone. I, I don't, if the number don't pop up, I ain't picking it up. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I get a phone call. Oh, hello, I speak to Tramel. Yes, who's this? Oh, this is, I, I forgot the name. It's a female, though. Oh, yeah, you know, the stuff that you be, uh, I'm a shop steward. And, you know, the things that you be pro uh, posting in progressive action, you know, don't be too, act uh, 
look, I, I'll call you back. I'm, I'm handling business right now. But after I finish, you know, handling my business, I called, I called the, um, I called the back. She ain't pick up, so I texted her, you know, told her to hit me back. Told her to hit me back, and um, she ain't pick up. But people coming up to us and like, yo, we shop stewards. And, and what has shop steward done for you? I have learned more from the guest on my show than I learned from Nick Bedell in that shop steward class. That shop steward class is bullshit. That shop steward class, that shop steward class ain't preparing none of y'all for the, for the real field in the real world inside transit. What has shop steward class done for you? What has it done? Yeah, you learn how to fill out a medical appeal. You know about the history. What has it done? You got to go to a part two to go learn how to fill out a grievance. Isn't that what shop steward is about? Why is there a part two? You barely getting people to part one. Now you want people to waste more time, take a break and come back for part two. This ain't no school semester. <laughs> you lose people like that. Yeah. What the hell are they doing, man? What you got on your mind, Kyle? I don't know. Yeah. You know what I got on my mind right now? You know, there's an, um, we got an email from, a, from an anonymous train operator. Yeah. A long, extensive email, too. That was an extensive read. But he talked about uh, his experience and life on the job as a train operator so far. And basically, you know, what a, it, if he's listening tonight right now or even when he does get the chance to listen, I just wanted to just reach, you know, to talk to that train operator and say, listen, you know, um, you have a right to be anonymous, but, uh, you know, we would love to know, you know, who you are because uh, you shouldn't be afraid to express your feelings because that's exactly what we're doing here at Progressive Action, you know. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that are going on on a job and it's okay for you to express what's going on, you know what I'm saying? So, you know that was an extensive article that he wrote, and those were a lot, and there were a lot of great things in the article that he wrote. Um, basically, the article was posted on the Progressive Action website. So, if people um, don't know what I'm talking about, you could just go on the website progressiveaction.info, and you could see what the article talks about. You know, and then another thing is with train operators, right? You know what I can't figure out, cause. I know what you're going to say. Just say it. <laughs> is wh why is it that when there is a 12-9, a man under, right? And, and, and in a situation to where somebody, when a train is blaring into a station, right, and a, a customer jumps in front of the train. Now, you are, we already know the situation. When you go BIE, of you know, when a train stops and you call it in the RCC, we already know it's a person under the train. So why do they expect train operators to get out and investigate? What do they okay? What do they want you to do? Go get the person some water? I don't know. <laughs> I can't figure that out. You know, it, it, it's crazy. If I'm a train operator and I'm telling you that somebody got pushed in front of my train, what is it to investigate? Exactly. The, what is the, it? the, the investigation is done. It's done. Right. The it's only either come get ambulance. Come. Bring uh, unless you want us to see if the person is alive or not. Right, come you know you, you know go get the morgue, the medical examiner, go get the. And I'm the, not qualified to tell you if somebody is alive or not because I can't. I'm not qualified to check posts exactly or, or anything like that. Right. 
So that's what I mean when I say, why do they expect you to get out of your train and go do all of that? When you, again, when you see somebody blatantly was pushed in front of your train. Now, if it happened in the back of the train in the middle somewhere, of course, you got because you don't know what the situation is. Then so you got to get, so now you got to get out and investigate. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. But that's crazy, you know? And, and then what I want to read. You know, piggyback off of what Tremel was talking about with the officers in RTO, you know, and this goes for basically the whole administration, you know, and but, you know, basically what I want to say to the membership is, you know, on the impulse and it's been happening for years, right? We've, you know, in these different sections and, and whatnot, we vote for different people um, because of how we feel. It's all off of feeling and emotion. Oh, that's my friend. Oh, that's my buddy. Oh, I know they're gonna get the job done. Yo, that that's my man. Like I listen. don't even think they say they gonna get the job done. It no. just be more of that's my friend. Exactly. And that's it. It just be like, yo, that's my man, that's my friend, that's my buddy. But I'm like, listen, I'm here to tell you how far have you honestly gotten from voting for your man, voting for your buddies, and voting for your friends. Yeah. I mean and, and even even with that, when it comes to Crystal, what has she done? What has she done? Nobody, all right, she, she was filled in questions online. That's where that Google Queen shit came from. You know what I'm saying? She was filled in questions online. What work has she put in and on the field? Y'all, she's, she, Crystal is charming. She has a nice smile. She's easy to get along, get along with. I get it. But what has she done to help move this union forward? What information has she provided? What, what, really, what has she done? She hasn't, she hasn't done anything. Well, I want. I mean, well, you should. You talk about Crystal. I want to know what this administration period has done <laughs> to move this union forward. That's what I want to know. I want to, you know, because I'm not just. I'm talking about everybody. You know, you're talking about an administration that allowed the first mass layoffs in history of TWU back in 2010. Okay. They left those old map store bus operators out there to dry, and all those station agents who are, who are civil service were allowed to be laid off. And then you have an administration. Well, that, we got we got we got one of them here today, right? Yeah, we got one of them here. But I want to you know, but oh, yeah, I want to yeah, 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 yeah. you know, but I want to name all yeah. the false. Okay, yeah, this yeah. administration. Yeah, you're run, talking, run it down, run it down. You know, you're talking about an administration that sold the Gilmartin houses and is has unaccounted for seventeen point two million dollars. True. Back in 2014, True. the same year we ratified the contract, I got $6 million out the contract from the MTA. True. Okay. And then you're talking about interline bus routes. Interline bus routes spread rapidly under this administration. Okay. You got the most cuts in bus and subway service in the history of transit under this administration. Basically, you have more people running around this city. It's densely populated. The, um, and the MCA is constantly talking about the ridership has increased 8 million people. And all this administration, these people are worried about is snapping pictures with the governor and snapping pictures, you know, on these buses, on these Wi-Fi buses. Earl Phillips. Yeah. Okay. And then you have an administration for, for the last contract that basically stalled for reasons of wanting to get elected. And didn't even go to the bargaining table, okay? Basically, you have an administration that accepted a contract from a governor. Basically, he ran to the governor because he didn't want to look stupid. And he wanted to look, say to the members, yeah, I got us a contract. But the contract was just pure garbage, if you ask me. And I'm saying it. That contract was garbage. But okay? look, look what Samuelson said. Our dental benefits was astronomical. Astronomical. What? Wow. <laughs> 
this guy's amazing. Yeah, he's very amazing. This, this, very, he's very amazing. He's very amazing at creating an illusion of things, you know. Yeah. And then you're talking about an administration, well, president that said that the twenty five fifty five retaining the twenty five fifty five in tier six was a victory. Wow, a victory. Tier six is a, any. There's nothing about tier six that was a victory. Okay. And then you're talking about in the contract. Allowing the wage prog- allowing new members to remain on the wage progression scale for five years. Allegedly. Allegedly, exactly. Allegedly. Exactly. And then you're talking about an increase in the medical benefit to two percent. Now somebody that basically castrated the Tucson administration for one point five. For one point five. Y'all allowed it to go up to two percent. Yep. How is that? Yep. Okay. And then you got the construction flagging jobs that were snatched from RTO and given to MOW. Really, dude? Mm-hmm. Come on, why would you do that? Well, didn't the president come from MOW? Yes, the president came from oh, MOW. Okay. Yes, he was a track. He's a track inspector. He was taking care of his people. Was, of course. Yeah. You know, and then you got um, allowing the training and upgrading fund to get suspended. Allegedly. Allegedly, right? <laughs> suspended. <laughs> I use that word. Okay. And then you allow the MTA bus pension to be handed over to the wolves. AKA the arbitrators, okay? Because uh-huh. what do you think they're gonna do? Exactly. Exactly. And then finally, you're talking about from the contract, a pennies on the dollar raise. A pennies on the dollar raise. He's basically trying to say, yeah, you know, you got one, you, you know, we got no zeros, it's one and one, like w- really 1%, dude? Yeah. Really? A five year contract, too. And a five year and a five year deal? Yeah. So that's what I mean by say, you have an administration that basically has done these are their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And what I want to know to them, you know, to this um, you know, to our membership is we gotta start thinking and you gotta start worrying about electing your friends to these different offices, you know, who are not gonna do anything for you. You gotta and you gotta look and you got, because basically we're all here to make money. You know, we're all here to put our kids through college. We're all here to support our families. And we're all here to support, you know, we're all here to support ourselves, pay our mortgages, pay our rent, and put food on the table. So don't, you know, if these friendships are not going to do that, then why would you vote for these people? See, like that, with this administration, these are, their, these are their accomplishments. What they don't understand is that we are in trouble right now as a union. Yes. As, as transit workers, we are in trouble. We don't need... We need experience right now. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to ask Crystal people this. Would you hire... See, this is what they understand. People getting sent home for no work available, which means that's playing with their livelihood. And sometimes when you play with people's livelihood, you're playing with their freedom. So let me ask them this. Would you hire a lawyer that just got, into, just got accepted at a law firm, but he telling you that nobody taught him anything and, and he never went to school for it? And that he's learning as he go along and your freedom is on the line. Would you hire that lawyer? You're not going to hire that lawyer. Would you hire that surgeon that's going to save your life? And he telling you that he never went to, to law school. I mean, he never went to uh, medical school. But he's learning and watching other surgeons. And he never did no surgery himself. Would you trust him with your life? That's how you got to look at these union positions. You got to look at the, the VP and the chairperson of your division. Those are the two highest positions in your division they could possibly make or break your life they could possibly make or break your career y'all not looking at it like that people like oh my friend she go take care of me she go do this no she's not because she don't have no power and she don't have no support within that whole organization over there the good boys club Mm-hmm. The, good old boys club. <laughs> the good old boys club right the two and a half floors but yeah you know like i said you know tonight's show 
you know, without further ado, you know, speaking of the layoffs back in 2010, we uh, we actually have here a real live uh, station agent who was laid off in 2010. Of course, he's been back in the booth. He's, he's active on Facebook and he's active in the union. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Mr. Jonathan Beatrice. How you feeling tonight, Mr. Beatrice? Introduce yourself and tell everybody and tell everybody who you are. Uh, my name is Jonathan Beatrice. I'm a station agent shop steward. I've been a shop steward since 2006. Uh, I actually learned how to be a shop steward from the two lovely guests that you're going to have on this program uh, next week. Jamal Chisholm and uh, Andreeva Pender uh, worked under the Roger Tucson administration. Uh, I was one of the lucky ones. I, I got laid off in August of 2010. There was uh, the first half of the station agents uh, that got laid off got laid off in May. Those were the station agents that had uh, the least seniority. And then in August, they did a second round of layoffs. Uh, those are the people that had a little more seniority. I had five years on the job. And my, that's where we are. <laughs> oh, okay. I was testing the sample. The, the sample was acting crazy. Okay. Now we go, guys. Working now. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my class of station agents uh, literally was the cutoff point. There were uh, station agents in my class uh, who didn't get laid off. So when they hired us back uh, five months later, uh, I was the seventh person to come back to get hired back as a station agent. So, and uh, I, having no uh, wife or kids to take care of, I feel like I was one of the lucky ones, uh, though as unjust the layoffs were, and I actually filed a contract grievance against the layoffs because if you look at the memorandum of understanding, uh, there is a job security clause uh, that Roger Toussaint negotiated into the 2002 MOU. And I'll, I'll read the, uh, I know you got the uh, contract right there. I'll read the language. Uh, yes, they, yes. You I'll read speak to the, the mic. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll read the language from the 2002 MOU jobs because there was a lot. I've, I've uh, a fascinating show. I've been listening to this show, uh, past episodes, and uh, Ant I was listening to uh, one of the episodes where Anthony Staley was on, and we were talking. You were talking about uh, the no layoff clause, how it was a, a sunset clause. It, it's it was indeed a sunset clause, um, but like you were saying on that episode. You have to read the language. That's, that's the reason why that it was so easy for that myth to be spread about the no layoff clauses because, and it's so, it's understandable. It, when, I, when I first read the contract, I looked, at the, I looked at the table of contents. I saw no layoff clause. <laughs> what else do you need to read? No layoff clause. No layoffs. Yeah. It's what it sounds like. But if you read the language, oh, no, you have to... Okay, so it's telling you to read the language in the DC-37, quote-unquote, no layoff clause, and see what there. Correct. Yeah, so you have to read the legalese in that language. Job security. Now, me, okay. While you was, while you was um, laid off, did you, did, the, did you have to use up any of your vacation time or anything like that? Was you allowed to do that? How does that work? They... They paid us, they gave us a lump sum check when we were laid off. 
Uh, they paid us for all the vacation time that we would do for uh, the coming year. Okay. So all of 2000, I was uh, rehired in January of 2011 and then reminded that uh, I was not going to have a vacation that year. Wow. Because remember, you got paid for it last year. Yeah. Was, oh, yes, that's what that huge check was. Okay. So the job in the 2002 Memorandum of Understanding, the job security clause states the parties will, the parties, the union and management, will make every effort to avoid involuntary reductions in force. Invol First of all, what they're saying is they, they will make every effort to avoid involuntary reductions in force. These reductions in force, as we know, was a political move by Jay Walder. Okay. Well, to beat his chest and show uh, private firms that, you know, look, I can, I can, I can make uh, tough choices and I can reduce uh, staffing and uh, save, save, uh, save you money on your budget by just laying people off and closing half, half the booths in the, stage, in the, in the system. Uh, these efforts will include reassignments. Well, my grievance was based on the first sentence. The parties will make every effort to avoid involuntary reductions in force. And I wanted to force an, investi an investigation or an audit as you, uh, uh, or, or an audit, yeah. um, for lack of a better term, of are they doing everything they can? Are they making every effort to avoid an involuntary reduction in force? Correct. And to be fair, uh, the arbitrator at the time, Edelman, was quoted saying that uh, he doesn't feel inclined uh, to interfere with Transit's decision to, um, to lay station agents off, decide to lay station agents off. Um, so I guess the union decided that they weren't going to win this case. But all I knew at the time was that we had a step one hearing in August. I filed it in March of 2010 uh, when, when they sent us letters telling us that layoffs were going to come. And that step one never happened. Step one, step one didn't happen until August after our class, after uh, we were laid off. So the layoff, layoffs already happened. So it was too late to prevent the layoffs. All we could really do was do what we could to try to make the, the people who were laid off whole. And it was an et al. grievance. Of course, yeah. Uh, my colleague, uh, Carol Robinson, who ran for vice president of the station department with the Transport Workers United last year with me, uh, she signed on to the grievance along with another station agent. And... Uh, we made an et al. grievance to affect all the parties, everyone who was laid off. Correct. Uh, so I, I guess understood uh, the union felt that they weren't going to win these grievance. But one of the problems with this administration is that politics is paramount. When they lose, they're not going to tell you. They're going to have a step one hearing to kind of appease you. And then I had a meeting with Larry Carey, their lawyer then. Okay. And... Um, we had the step one hearing. Um, the, tran the, the transit authority suits were there. They were arguing their case for uh, the transit authority. Um, they, uh, for the transit authority. Oh, 
I'm sorry, we had a step one hearing, we had a step two hearing, but they were kind of now I'm remembering now that I'm remembering this more clearly. Over the summer of 2010, we had step one, we had step two. They were kind of dragging their feet over the summer. We didn't have the arbitration hearing, the first arbitration hearing until, uh, my apologies, we didn't have the first arbitration hearing until after we already got laid off. Okay. And it could have been, I, mean, I believe it could have been expedited. Um, but their excuse was uh, the management's rights clause that says that uh, they have a right to lay people off, that the contract gives them a right to lay people off. But that's further down in the contract, as you were explaining with uh, when you had uh, Anthony Staley on that, and was Anthony Staley was explaining um, everything that, oh, actually you were explaining this, that you have what, uh, what stayed in effect for the past 40 years, yeah. but then the memorandum of understanding comes in. Roger Toussaint negotiates a memorandum of understanding, and anything that, con that, that contradicts anything that's further down in the contract, the memorandum of understanding takes precedence because that's an updated version. Exactly. Those yeah. are the changes that are coming into the contract. Exactly. So they were using the old clause, the old version of the management's rights clause. The old language. The old language. Yeah. So my guess, I can't say for sure, I guess they wanted to have a hearing to show that they were doing something. And it took years for them to admit we lost that, we lost that uh, grievance because I, after that first arbitration hearing, I kept calling Larry Carey's office over <laughs> and over again, never got, never got a call back. I found out later on that he wasn't even working for the union uh, af after that. He, that. He wasn't even working for the union anymore. Well, you know, Larry so, Carey... I just wasn't getting any information. That's, that's, that was my problem. During but. that time, Larry Carey was very busy defending Samuelson's case of defamation with, where um, mm -hmm. Samuelson was using Larry Carey to sue members mm -hmm. for, for blog posts and stuff like that during that time wow. also. Okay, I didn't... I didn't yeah, know. that's what Samuelson was using Larry Carey, which was the union lawyer, Okay, for that. And um, do you think that... Or oh, why don't you why then you why don't you think the uh management didn't try this with uh Toussaint versus they waited for Samuelson to get in? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking about what you said last week with Dan Allen that you said oh. would you would you smack Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley <laughs> exactly. or, would, or would you smack Denzel as training day? Who would you smack first? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When, yeah, that was funny, we, I'm sorry. We, we went on strike over people who weren't even hi over uh, something the transit wanted to do to people who weren't even hired yet, they they knew Roger Toussaint was tough, and here they had this new president, right? This new administration. They wanted to see, let's see how we can uh, kick him around. And uh, of course, unfortunately, John Samuelson, you know, he he had an opportunity to show his teeth to the transit and say, you can't kick me around. You know, there's a new. Uh, you know, there's a new sheriff in town, but the new sheriff Dell is not any uh, weaker. Is not any weaker than the old sheriff, but unfortunately, he blew that opportunity. Oh yeah, well, like I said, they saw that the uh, the new sheriff and his deputies were clowns. You know, right? So basically, they knew what they you know they knew exactly what they were doing when Jay Walder came in and laid off all of y'all. You know, which was you know when it when it happened, it was just so sad. You know, because I remember. They offered y'all jobs as cleaners, mm -hmm. 
because I happen mm-hmm. to because I happen to I happen I happen to have a um, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine was a station agent also back then, and she got you know and and she accepted a job as a cleaner, and then she went back to the booth. Now she's a supervisor now. Mm-hmm. You know, so but basically, uh, you know, it was really sad when they laid off all those members because I yeah. said to myself, it's totally unnecessary because you're talking about a billion dollar annual an annual billion dollar agency that gets money, all this money from the feds and you get all, you know, exactly. basically they get so much money. So why do you have to lay off our members? Why couldn't you lay off the Long Island Railroad and, and, and the Metro North members who supervisors who make over two hundred thousand dollars? And even back then, it was making over two hundred thousand dollars with overtime. Why couldn't you lay them? Why couldn't they be laid off? And they're not even. And again, the sad part: mm-hmm. all everybody else is not civil service. We're the civil service stronghold here in transit. Right. So they're not even. They're not by right. They're not even supposed to dream of laying a dream of something like that. But again, when you you know when you look at them, you know when you look at the leadership of the union. That's when they said, "Okay, we got this one." And they you know? they didn't waste no time. No, they did. Two thousand ten people getting laid off. They said, "We got we got us a sucker." Exactly. <laughs> Basically, that's what happened. Exactly. You know, they like we got us a sucker. Mm-hmm. So, what inspired me to become a shop steward? When I was hired in two thousand five. Uh. So I was hired in the summer of two thousand five, and you all know what happened. <laughs> While I was on probation, we went on strike. Oh, okay. Uh, I had four months on the job, so I didn't have much. But four months, uh, you know, as bad as the MTA is, if you're only working for the MTA for four months, there's not much beef you could possibly have with the MTA just yet in, <laughs> after four months. Right. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't cross picket lines. I was brought up in a union family. Uh, my mother was in the UFT. Uh, she had, coincidentally, she had just as much time on the job as a kindergarten teacher during the 1968 teacher's strike. And she said, don't you cross the picket line. She's, she's telling stories about teachers that she knew that held 20-year grudges against teachers that crossed the, that crossed the picket lines. Don't you do that. And uh, my grandfather was a, a business agent for the International Ladies Garment Workers Union. It, now it's merged with other unions to become Unite Here. Uh, he was a uh, business agent is somebody who goes over uh, the, uh, the grimy details of a contract with the president. Um, it did varies by union. He was also uh, also uh, had organizing responsibilities. But it, 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 my family was, had, I have a union background in my family, and uh, I had a strong belief against crossing picket lines. And I just felt it was the right the the, the Taylor law the Taylor law was wrong. That everyone has a right to go on strike, uh, like Mike Quill said, police officers, firefighters, transit workers also have the right to go on strike. And I decided to take a stand against the terror law and uh, go on strike because I was new. I was probation. They, they, were, they were in stations, especially among station agents. And uh, one of the reasons, because you work in a booth alone. 
So if you're going to organize station agents, you have to talk to everybody individually, one-on-one. And when I say one-on-one, I don't mean talk to somebody and then move two feet, talk to somebody else and then move. No. You, you have to talk to somebody who may or may not want to talk to you, who might not want to talk to you at all. Someone that you traveled, you had to wait for the train, take the train, get off the train, talk to that person. Maybe that person doesn't even want to talk to you. And then you have to get, wait for the next train, get back on the train, go another station, go downstairs, and then talk to another one person. So there's a lot of information that wasn't, a lot of um, information that wasn't making its way to the booths. There were a lot of myths being uh, propagated, like the, the, the the two strike two-strike rule if you went on strike in 1980 you can't go on strike and, and now you, you if once you, if you go on strike twice you get fired if if you're on probation mm-hmm. they'll fire you none of it was true um so i i was proactive i called the union i asked them you know is this any of this true he said no so at the time you know i wasn't sure if i was going to stay with trans if having four months on the job to me it was just if i lose this job I'll get. I'll have to get another one, but uh, I'm gonna stand up for what's right. And uh, I went on strike, and I and I got uh, and I was fined, just like anyone else, even though I was on probation. And I'm telling you, the stories I heard about people who, because I heard a lot of station agents cross the picket line. And uh, what's strange about that is, I don't know. I mean, I know none of you from. You're from. RTO, you're from Mapstone. Mapstone, right? yes. So uh, you're probably wondering, you know, how do you? First of all, there's no picket line in front of a, a subway station. It was all they were in front of barns and depots. So how do you cross the picket line? Where do you go? This is astounding. This is disgusting. They 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 had station agents that wanted to work to report to their field office, sign a log, and just hang out in the field office the entire eight hours just to get paid and I heard stories about how there were uh, station agents who actually they were hanging out there that got coffee went to get coffee for the supervisors I you know wow I would not have lasted two minutes in there I would not have been able to look myself in the mirror and I'm just so glad I made the decision to to go on strike and uh, that's and a stand-up uh, guy right uh, there. Stand-up guy right there. Thank you. And after the strike, I, I thought, you know, I, I was inspired. I thought, well, I want to be part of this fight. I mean, and especially after the contract we got after the strike. I mean, and a lot of people, they didn't like the one and a half percent. I came out of a job. Well, years. I had the job years before that, but. I had a job where I was paying $150 a month into my uh, health insurance, and I was just happy to have health insurance. And now they're asking me to pay 1.5% for retiree health benefits on top of the health benefits that, that I have already, which is great. A lot, a lot better than Oxford, which I had with uh, the old job on the private sector in a video production studio. And I was telling people, you're only paying one and a half percent, even if even if it was for your current benefits, which is not, which a lot of people thought it was. 
which was the sticking point for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, it, I remember very well, a lot of the members were in an uproar when they found out they had to pay 1.5. But I'm saying to myself, it's for medical benefits in retirement. And people, and people, see, at that time, I have 16 years. So at the time, I have five years when we struck. So when the contract came down and everything, now, of course, I thought it was for the first time, which I did for a long time. But of course, you know, Roger Toussaint came on the show and other, other members of New Directions, they came on and they educated everybody and said, listen, but Roger especially, he said this wasn't the first time there was a medical contribution to, towards medical benefits and retirement. You had a, you had a contribution that was um, actually put in by an arbitrator back in the 90s under, under DeMazo Seda, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, the language, and the language from that award, okay, for everybody out there again, mm-hmm. the language from that award is on page 388 okay. in, the back, in the back of the big white book, you know, in, in the back of the contract. And it'll tell you that there was a, contra, there was a contribution of 1%, one, 1%, something like that. I believe it was, it was a contribution of 1%. That's what I heard too. Right, but it, it lasted for four years. Okay. And then it was taken out. And then it was taken out. It was, it was, it was taken out under Willie James in 99. Okay. Okay, but basically, of course, un- after the strike, it was reincar- it was reincarnated and brought back. So that's what I mean when we say all these people, it el- it eliminates that and says that Roger opened a door and it's the first time ever. No, it's not the first time ever, and it's in black and white, you know. So, but the thing is, um, another you know, we won a lot of great gains after the strike. You know, it was right. you know it was something that was worth. Um, I mean, there were people who crossed the picket line, and there was a lot of propaganda put out there, you know, for you know, for people to cross the picket line, and for people to go against that contract, you know. But like I said, that's the ignorance that you have out there, you know, and that's you know. But ignorance, you know, we get nowhere with ignorance and propaganda put out there. How far have we gotten as a union and as a rank and file, you know? Well, the raises that we got under the 2005 contract were certainly better than we got under the 2012 contract. There's no <laughs> 1%, 2% terrible. Um, and the most important thing I tell the members is that we, we stood up. The, the slogan of, of that strike was, it's about respect. You know, if, if anything, we, 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 we set the ball rolling for people to begin to fight this tail law and I wish I wish other unions would have kept the ball rolling um, but uh, I was in, I was inspired by members willing to stand out in the freezing cold it was freezing oh, it yes. was in single I think it was in a single it was digits, in a single digits, single digits. Mm-hmm. and standing out in the freezing cold and and they were on fire I mean I mean, you know, talking about the cold, but they, but they were on fire, and there were people supporting us. There were firefighters uh, giving us truckloads of, of hot soup to support us. It was so inspiring. And I saw an article, uh, an ad in the next uh, union newsletter. It says, "You are you ready to lead?" I thought, yeah, and and I was I was in my early thirties. I was I was in that stage uh, where, yeah, I was still trying. To, figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, right? 
some of us <laughs> some of us take a while to figure that out and that, that this this is it this is my purpose this is this is something that i could use this job to to help lead this fight for workers rights against against oppressive laws like uh, the terror law all on uh, all on the mta's dime <laughs> all while all while uh, having a good job with the transit authority uh talking to uh, other members uh what i like to do is i like to pick uh jobs where uh i get to meet as many people as possible not just uh pick one booth where i can just be alone everyone can leave me alone but but uh, lunch reliefs where you can go from booth to booth and talk to as many people as possible spread the spread the good word of unionism and uh, so uh, I've been so I took the stop stool class in 2006. Uh, we I took Nick Unger's class. And Nick Unger uh, is an organizer with the AFL-CIO. I, I mean, I took uh, I took Nick Bedell's class uh, when I came back uh, when I was hired back in 2011. And who uh, class is better? I uh, you know I. I'm not sure because when I came back in 2011, uh, I took this, my perspective of Nick Bedell's class was I'm not really learning anything new because I've been a shop steward for the past five years. But for people that were new, some of this information uh, might be helpful. Uh, Nick Unger's class uh, was mostly about organizing. Again. I learned uh, most, and I think we do need more in-depth uh, uh, shop steward uh, shop steward uh, classes involving micro issues involving our title. Correct. I think the stations should have their own shop steward class. Uh, I know there's an effort to do that now. There's a, a shop steward separate shop steward program. Um, in the station department led by Linwood Wichard. Uh, we're doing mostly uh, safety walk-arounds, but it really needs to be a class about how to, how to do disciplinary grievances, how to, how to do, I, I, learned on, I learned on my own time, hands-on how to do uh, disciplinary grievances uh, from a fellow shop steward, Arthur Clements, Okay, yeah, Arthur is a member of uh, Progressive Action. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. Uh, he, I sat in, I sat in hearings with him uh, while Jamel and Andrew were in office, and uh, I learned a lot. And uh, you know, I was put on release to do. I've done grievances myself, and uh, I think that that's the best way to learn to actually do the job. And be dedicated to the, uh, to the task of being a shop steward. Right. I mean, that's the way it should be, you know. So let me ask you. Okay. okay so let me ask you something now about the about the station agent job. Now, now that you have eleven years on the job, mm -hmm. right? Um, how do you feel about the future of the job title of station agent within the MTA? Because it's like word fluctuates up and down. It's like first, at f first they want to get rid of them. Now, then, maybe a month because it was one. T it was one point I read an article saying you didn't want to reduce them drastically, 
Then I read another article saying that oh they want to increase them. They're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna hire more of them. So I just want to know like you know what do you think is is the future of the job title of station agent? Well, the job is certainly going to change. Uh, technology is going to change uh, the duties of station agent. Um, they're going to be doing more than fair sales. I think, especially with this administration, I don't know how much is being done behind the scenes to um, prepare station agents for the future. I know there's a station agent of the future program, but again, everything that happens behind the scenes, they don't really like to uh, divulge us in. Um, in fact, uh, several Several of my fellow station agents, uh, Arthur Clements, and um, Walt, station agent, along with uh, station agent Walter Cologne, we pushed the, the elected leadership to tell us what's going on with the with the, the station agent of the, of the future uh, com joint committee. Uh, who's they, they wouldn't even tell us at first who is on the committee. Who's on the, the labor side of the committee? They didn't want to even tell us who's on the committee. And so, slowly but surely, as we held their feet to the fire, they, uh, they told us um, what the union was demanding, how negotiations were going. Um, but the, we're going to need different, different skill sets for what what is to come in the future because I, I find it funny uh, no no disrespect to uh, the people who made the movie Ghostbusters uh, Leslie Jones and, and the cast did a great job uh, in that movie and she portrayed transit worker very well but I just found it a little funny how the union liked that movie because uh, if you watch if you watch the movie um, uh, the transit worker character in Ghostbusters is going out on the tracks with the, with a flashlight, saying, "Oh, the train's gonna come in a few minutes." She knows the schedule. She knows the timetable. She's looking at switches, and she's that's. And I thought, you know what? That with under this leadership, that's gonna be us. That's what we're gonna be. Exactly. Wow. Station agent of the future. Yeah. Right. There was a ghost on the tracks. Let me go out and look, and we, we'd be allowed to go out in the booth with a flashlight and, and look around. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what they. That, you know, that's what they. Like I said, well, with they, the train they, operators, you know, you got to get out and, and you know blatantly knowing what happened. You know, oh no, there's a ghost. You know, so that's what I mean by say it's. Yeah. They, already, they already want y'all now to be outside the booth, possibly sweep stations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. Right. I mean, uh, you know, next stand out there on the booth with a tray with some mints and some and some and some and some wipes and some hand sanitizer and 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 some and some shots. You know, and stand out there and give it to people as they come by. You know, That's what they're gonna want also in the future. I mean, it's it's. It's happening slowly because they want uh, they want to, the uh, transit authority wants the MTA wants to make as smooth a transition as possible because they've done pilot programs uh, in the past where there were a lot of glitches where when uh, where 
people were uh, tapping their keychain and uh, the turnstile took two fares from their checking accounts. They want, they want the program to go well. So it's a huge transition because that means you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to transform all the turnstiles from accepting Metro cards that you swipe to Metro to uh, just tapping your keychain or what have you. I mean, look how long it took for, for us, for uh, the TA to uh, transition from tokens to Metro cards. It was a pretty slow transition. So it's, it's, it's going to ease the passengers in it, into it like, as they, like they ease the passengers into getting used to station agents being, not being in the booth, which is real slick what they did because I know in 2001, um, I know Roger Toussaint, or was it 2000, no, it was 2002 after 9-11, Roger Toussaint led a fight against uh, the closure of uh, around the same amount of booths as Jay Walder closed. But what we had was a public outcry because of September 11th. And right. people weren't used to people being outside of the booth. You had to wait. When you called for a comfort relief, when you, when you had to use the restroom, you had to call the field office and you had to wait for somebody to come into your booth and relieve you for a few minutes and watch, and watch the, the board for you. We call it the board the, what for it's pretty much uh, essentially your cash register. Uh, but we call, it, we call it the board. Um, you had to wait for somebody to, to come to the booth so that you can leave the booth. So there's somebody always there. And then they changed that policy. So you can just call the field office and tell them you're leaving the booth. After, so, but that didn't exist in 2002. So people weren't used to seeing nobody being in the booth. That was like out of, those, they couldn't, nobody could conceive it. Then they implement certain policies, and they created the the station customer assistance program. If you remember, uh, the burgundy coats, the burgundy vests, with uh, painting the booths red. The station agents were, were standing outside of the booth and just doing customer assistance. Uh, as much as I don't like to call, I like to call them passengers, not customers. Customers have a choice. There's no competing, MTA has a monopoly over the mass transit system in New York City. Basically. They're not really customers, but they, call, they like to call it customer assistance. So people started, started to wean people into seeing station agents outside, not in the booth. And I think that's, that was another element that allowed Jay Walder to close all those booths with no public it was no public outcry i mean i have to be honest uh it wasn't completely the union's fault i went to the uh public hearings against against the booth closings the union did show up and it was, it was us along with a couple of uh community advocates the strap hangers campaign and no one else no one from the general public saying, don't close these booths, no one cared. And uh, it was all, the, the, this was the MTA's doing. It was really slick the way they do it. And I think uh, this is how they're going to get station agents out of the booth eventually. But we need to prepare, we, we need to protect jobs. We need to figure out a plan. What are these station agents going to do? 
how can we how can we keep them employed that's the union's job how how we fight for these station because technology is definitely going to change the job correct there used to be there used to be a conductor for every car in the old days like 100 years ago there used to be a conductor for every car mm-hmm. now you have one conductor for the whole train so technology is going to change this job somewhat and they try to do away with they try to do away with the one conductor that was on the train right yeah. you know they they tried that you know and it's crazy because how do you do something like that when you're talking about it's bad enough it's just two people on a train as a crew right that god forbid has to evacuate in rush hour what how many people could fit on a train a thousand people yeah a thousand and change a thousand and change two people got to evacuate a thousand and change onto the track bed or off the train or on the platform or whatever yeah you know and we talking about it's funny how the mta could even get with the overcrowding of trains that should be a fire hazard uh, especially yeah. train cars you got you can't even move in some of these train cars mm-hmm. what if something happened people will get trampled first of all they trapped the indoors is locked you know what i'm saying you don't want to open up the indoors people going to live third rails and and all that other type of stuff so mm-hmm. picture you got to evacuate a crowded train during rush hour right where did, where you go put them well this is where they need to expand service and there, like you said, there there are plenty of ways that they can get that where they could get where they get funding. Um, I read uh, John Samuels, or actually, let's let's call it Ruben Diaz Jr.'s column uh, in the Daily News. Uh, Ruben Ruben Diaz Jr. that he wrote with John Samuelson. I don't know how much of it John Samuelson wrote. Um, I think uh, uh, I think Malia Malia Trump. Uh, read from it yesterday and said it was <laughs> but, uh, wow man but, oh my god but uh, it was all about um, bringing manufacturing jobs back to New, back to New York specifically and the Bronx speci- right specific, specifically the Bronx of course yeah. Ruben Diaz Jr. is the Bronx Borough President and arguing for um, building factories in the Bronx to make subway cars but there was what the union should address, and I, they, I've only heard DC 37 ever, uh, Lily and Roberts years ago, ever address this. That why does the transit authority insist on farming construction work out? We have, uh, from from what I know as a station agent, from a station agent's point of view, no way an expert on uh, uh, the skills of the membership of the union as far as maintenance is concerned but i'm pretty sure we have uh we have members who can do all this maintenance work that they're doing on the end line and uh they can do all the upgrades that uh, they're going to be doing on these 31 uh, stations on yeah the yeah I, I mean why we should be doing the the union should be demanding that uh, that transit does this in-house because all of these private all these uh, uh, capital construction programs go over budget at the time that we were laid off they were building the Fulton Street hub which went half a billion dollars over budget I remember when there was a general order on the seven line it was supposed to be six weekends 
and it involved track work. They used their own track work. It was Local 100. They did, they did the whole project in-house. You know, it lasted three weekends. They were done. And this is what happens when they do things in-house. There's no profit motive. Just get the job done and on to the next project. Want me to answer that question for you? Absolutely. It's easier to get kickbacks when you deal with outside companies. Because right. it's like we pull you in, we go do you a favor, you go save us money. Whoever put the deal together, probably go get some type of under-the-table money and do it like that. If you just deal strictly with the union, I don't think the, the higher-ups that deal with the money really trust Samuelson to really kick back any money with this guy or any union president for that for that matter. Look what happened with the um, corrections the corrections guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he got caught up in some in some mess. But when you're dealing with outside contractors, it's easy for you to kick back money. Even when you look at the LM2s, the union do so much outside work. But, but, but just like the Jacob Javis Center was... For the mass membership meeting. It's a crazy amount of money. Like, unreasonable amount of money, money. And he know he can't draw that type of crowd. That's just like me being a singer. And I'm like, look, I'm not spending... Because the union not spending their own money out their own pocket, mm-hmm. per se. As far as Samuelson not going in his pocket, whatever he spend is not affecting his pay. So it's easier to do crooked work. Look, where's, where's the $17.2 million from the Gilmore house? Gilmore, exactly. They can right. say that it's in, in stocks and bonds. It's, nobody ain't say nothing yet. But it's not in stocks and bonds because, again, in the LM2s, in the investment section, zero. Yeah. Nothing, but, <laughs> nothing but zeros in the, in, in the investment section. Okay, so that's how you know they have nothing invested. If that $17.2 million is in a mutual fund, stocks and bonds, any type of investment, that it would, it would show up there. You're on point, cuz. Yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but then you, you can't, uh, I mean, I wanted, I wanted, uh, I was holding back from uh, saying anything about kickbacks, uh, kickback schemes while I'm uh, on the air, uh, the microphone in front of me. Um, but you can't complain about a lack of funds and how, you know, we have to lay all these station agents off. When, how did you become a half a billion dollars over budget on the Fulton Street hub? If, if, <laughs> I mean, you must, I mean, you, we have plumbers, carpenters in, in house. That can, that we have, you know, we, you can hire, you can hire people. I, I mean, with the amount of time that they, the amount of time that they spend on these projects, the Second Avenue subway is still long overdue. If you're going to take that long to do a project, well, then you have time to hire people uh, to put on staff, maybe hire new people, create job, create jobs in New York, hire people, and have them work for. The transit authority. I'm sh- I'm sure it would be much cheaper to do it that way than to hire a private contractor because a private contractor uh, has a vested interest in spending as much time as possible and getting uh, as much money as possible. As much, yeah, mm-hmm. dragging their feet as long as possible on a project, and oh, it's going to go. But we're going to need more but money. You, you know what? Once again, you're dealing with people who not who like. The, the, the people in transit who make the capital um, plan decisions and stuff like that, it's not their money. This is not their co- corporation. 
So they don't care how long it's going to take. They, who money they spending? You know what I'm saying? If they decide to sell a company or leave the company, they not getting nothing. You, there's no shell. There's no, um, what you call that, stocks in this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If, if uh, Pendergrass leave today or tomorrow, what is he walking away with? He can't sell his half of the company. Right. <laughs> so, who, so they don't care how long it's going to take. Right. They don't care how much money it's going to take. In fact, there was an article somebody posted in Progressive Action where they was talking about basically if MTA was a company, they would have been filed for bankruptcy. Absolutely. A corporation. If they a, were a, a private corporation. Yeah, yes. a private corporation. They would have filed for, for bankruptcy a long time ago. Right. Because they, misma- because they mismanage money. They don't, they don't stand on, they basically don't stand on their own two feet because, when you talk, because basically they operate off of federal dollars. They operate off of so if they didn't get federal dollars, we'd all be up the creek, and because what, ba- and basically they wouldn't be able to dream of getting these. You know, the governor wouldn't be able to dream of getting these new su- new subway cars with Wi-Fi and wider doors and 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 you know, basically you know they couldn't do that. You know, which is going to bring me to my next question, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not scared to say it on you know on the air, <laughs> he better not be scared. Um, <laughs> Like, how much do you think, uh, because being at your stage, they didn't, you know, you handle money. So okay. how much do you think that tr- that transit books on a daily basis when it comes to these booths, you know, like when you, when you add it all up? Like, the average booth you think makes how much That's on a daily well, basis? I know, I, I know which, which booths make uh, how much money. I know that the booths that uh, make the most money are actually in eastern Queens on the 7 line. Uh, those those booths are unbelievably busy. If they want if they want to expand transit service, forget the Upper East Side. You need to expand some something. In Queens, tram, <laughs> Queens, buses yeah. in in Flushing, Corona. Yes, because they make they make ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in fare card sales. Uh, everything east of uh, around Eighty Second Street. On the seven line, all the way to front, all the way to front, except for Willits Point. Uh, Willits Point, when there when there's no ball game, is a very slow booth. Okay. But Junction Boulevard, 103rd Street, are insane. They make tens of they they pull in tens of thousands of dollars, um, which is actually unusual. I was working in a booth today. Uh, I only had uh, like a thousand dollars in my revenue bag. It's kind of a slow booth. Um, so, average, I guess, I guess, five thousand dollars is about four, four or five thousand dollars. Two, two to five thousand dollars is around the average. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about how I'm thinking about the station agent that's listening to this to this program and hearing <laughs> five thousand dollars. I know how busy a booth. That is when you're bagging five thousand dollars. I'm thinking of station agents listening to this and, and, and saying five thousand dollars isn't average, but mathematically speaking, and that's not even five thousand dollars is about average. But you, if you're a station agent, you're you're not going to be happy with a booth that made that that pulls in five thousand dollars. And that's not even counting the uh, <laughs> what you call that the um the uh, metro call machine, right? Because that's probably pulling in a whole right. probably more than what you pulling in. Mm-hmm. Right, and you have the tourists that come in, and they use the vending machines, and they don't—they don't really know how uh, the fair, the fair scheme works, so they just 
they're used to uh, they're used to the way they run transit systems in other cities that um, go by distance. They buy tickets. They don't swipe. They just show their ticket, and so they're just looking for a ticket. So I, <laughs> I see tourists. They've got single rides coming out of the machine like they just won the jackpot because they're getting like ten single rides for for each person and they don't know that they could actually save money so by definitely, putting a bunch of rides. So definitely the the machines rob the tourists. They rob the tourists and they I'm sure they make a lot of money from the unlimited cards, um, with the yuppies and the uppified neighborhoods going to the vending machines and getting thirty day unlimited cards. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, because, you know, I'm a conductor. Their credit card. Yeah. I'm a conductor. So when somebody drops something on a road bed, we send them up to y'all. Who do y'all call? We call the track department. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works? Oh, when, yeah. when, when, when somebody drops something to the road bed, they think that, oh, they tell us, and we can't do nothing. We just say, go up to the booth and tell the booth. That's, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's how okay. it works, yeah. Because I always thought that they had, you know, like, being a child of track certified, they just, they just tell y'all to go down there and go get it, whatever, well, if somebody drops something. Well, sometime if, let's say somebody drop a bag, and, you know, the train operator don't want to go over no bag because it could possibly throw the train and breaks an emergency. Right. If the person is there, the train operator probably asks RCC, may I remove the bag for the person, whoever it belonged to, and give it to them like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, to put the uh, Station Agent of the Future program in perspective, if... Uh, if our future looks like that, where the station where uh, station agents become track certified, and let's say let's say they agree to uh, station agents being track certified and picking up uh, picking stuff up from the tracks themselves, um, which I'm not quoting any. I'm just I'm creating a scenario, possible a scenario here. I'm not saying that anybody discussed this in case any, any of my critics out there point to that and say, oh, Jonathan Beecher said that uh, we said this. No, I'm just um, creating a, a hypothetical. Um, that's not just going to affect station agents, but that's going to affect jobs in the track department too because we have to call the track department to because they're, they're track, we have to call people that are track certified that are trained to to come to and to retrieve things from the tracks, but if they have if if the MTA uh, has station agents or cleaners or, or station employees start doing that, that's going to affect jobs in the track department. So maybe John Samuelson should start thinking about that. Well, you said you've seen a Ghostbuster movie. <laughs> you've seen the, <laughs> the station worker <laughs> on the track. <laughs> So maybe yeah, you that's will be- take jobs away from the track department. His people, his people. Right. Exactly. If he's worried about protecting jobs and track. MOW. Let's affect MOW. I, I think that he's he's starting to not care about a few things. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. He's lying. He said our dental is astronomical. Did you hear that? Now. What what did he mean by our dental is astronomical? I mean, look is, up is look up what astronomically. Better than our, our our previous benefits, or what He's, does he mean astronom- astronom- he, he, what was astronomical? He said that past presidents of the union, dating back to the eighties before his time, 
have been basically working hard to improve our dental and medical benefits. So basically, he said with this with this current contract, he said he shattered that, and that's what he did. He improved it. Oh, we improved it astronomically. Astronomically, yeah. Is ways. Oh, baloney. That's oh, what he said. God. Basically, no eight eighteen hundred dollars for a single person and thirty six hundred dollars for family. Now, basically, that's... what are you getting done with thirty six hundred dollars for family? If if you have a family of four pe- four people on your coverage, what are you getting done? Braces, exactly. that's it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, that, yeah, that, that's it. That's, that's done for the year. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like uh, Joe Campbell. I, I stayed with the uh, high option. <laughs> Got to laugh at Sam. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. So that's what I mean by saying, you know, he says these things in these videos and these sound bites and nobody questions it. Because like I said, when I went to the dentist um, a, a few months ago, I asked the lady behind the desk. I said, "Listen, you know, you know, can you give me your honest opinion?" I said, "My coverage that I have, Healthplex. <laughs> if you had to rate it on a scale of one to one to ten, can, can you rate it?" So she said, oh, "I would rate them about a five. I said, "Wow, that's actually pretty good. Five, that, that's a five, pretty generous." Yeah, and I and I actually and I actually had a um, a cousin of mine used to work for Healthplex. But you know, but they don't work for Healthplex anymore. But even they said it was it wasn't that great, you know. And that's just working for them. Well, sir, you know? it's not astronomical. If no. any, you can you can debate. I mean, you can debate how much uh, better or worse or, or the uh, um, the the pros and the cons of switching to Healthplex. Um, but he but like he said, he improved them. Astronomically. Astronomically. That's what he said. You no, know, I'm you can I I just like keeping twenty five fifty five, preserving twenty five fifty five, which you know, this is classic uh political pandering. there's <laughs> no there's there's no proof whatsoever who why of why twenty five fifty five was preserved in tier six. We don't know if the politicians that decided on this decided just decided, oh, we don't, we don't feel any need to make transit workers work 30 years just because, not because they felt, oh, give them a break, just, eh, we just don't feel like doing it. Or, but because nobody saw exactly what, uh, what transpired, uh, they can come out and say, we, we fought. 3062 we we fought for 2555 and and we had the running scared and and, and they said oh my okay, god okay, just okay, don't don't save us don't hurt us we'll, we'll keep 2555 don't, don't worry here's 2555 um so they're they're free to say that because no one was there no one was there at the negotiating table nobody was nobody was in albany with them right they when, fought- when they decided, okay, we'll keep twenty five fifty five for uh, future hires. Yeah, you claim you fought for twenty five fifty five, but then in the contract to go in the contract that you claimed you negotiated to all the members, you dropped the ball and allowed the new members to have to wait five years on the prog- on the wage progression scale. Right, so the two don't go together. So you can so you can uh, so you can argue. Well, on the good, the good side is uh, they. We you know, we were able to preserve twenty five fifty five, but considering uh, the other thing, the, what we lost with tier six, what future hires lost with tier six, 
It's certainly not a victory. Don't call it a victory. Yeah, there's nothing about tier six as a victory. Not only that we lost tier, well, we lost with tier six, but we also lost five years top pay. That's that's big. That's big, yeah. Six years, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that may not even be true because the language in the contract, once again, says five years, 90%. There's nothing about 100% for top pay. Well, I, as I... I've seen the language in the contract. Um, I guess if if the transit authority uh, wants to be jerks, they can like they did when they laid us off. Right, they that. can point to the they're free to point to the language and say if they wanted to pull this trick. Well, look at what look at the language. We were we we're only obligated to to pay these uh, to pay these people ninety percent. We don't have to. We don't have to pay them a hundred percent. They could do that in the future. Yeah, and that's what, and and see that's what we tried to tell people, but people in the group in Progressive Action were shooting, were shooting it down. They was like, "Oh man, please listen, you'll get top pay." Like, what are you talking about? You got to understand the language, the language in, in the language in the contract and the language that's written because when, now when it's time to get technical, that's what they're gonna go by. And what's crazy is that in supervisor's contract, it plainly states. After the fifth year, you will reach 100%. And right. past, and past con- in, in the contract itself that Willie James negotiated, it says uh, it was three years, 100% at the time. Right. But it was always 100%. But this administration is not 100%. And when I argued it with them, they said, well, it's common sense. Contracts don't <laughs> go by common sense. No. Or, or emotion or what we thought. Let's look at this language. And the MTA have been jerks in the past. Yes. Right. When they laid y'all yeah, when they laid it's all not, off. It's not nothing new. And they possibly could be jerks again. You have you have to dot all your I's and cross your T's with with the MTA. You cannot trust them too much. I think I think this administration has too much trust in management has too much <laughs> certainly too much trust in Cuomo. Uh there is a what what alarmed me recently, not to get off the subject, even though we are getting, I am getting, we're kind of getting off the subject <laughs> a little bit. Um, I'm transitioning into a slightly different topic. Um, they put out, an, I mean, you can't find this now unless you Google it because I think they took it off of the Local 100 website, but recently uh, they put on, the Local 100 put on their website that a bill was passed into law to make uh, assaulting a station cleaner a Class D <coughs> felony. And I was, I was proud to join uh, cleaners in solidarity uh, in our trip to Albany to fight for that to get passed. But the fact that when I looked it up, it's still, uh, it's still in the Senate. It still hasn't been it ha- it approved hasn't le- uh, in the yeah. state Senate yet. So it left the House... And not only that, but the article actually clearly stated that even that even even assuming the article is and it's probably is you know the thing is it probably is going to pass the state senate because it has uh, bipartisan sponsor co sponsorship. Okay. Um, so it probably is going to pass, but don't don't say it passed already because you got some promise from a state senator to wait until it actually passes. Exactly. And not only that, was equally dangerous 
is that they said in the article that because it passed both houses of the legislature that the bill is in effect that is the law now which shows the membership that we have a political action committee that doesn't know how a bill becomes law because everybody knows that the governor is supposed to sign a bill into law and clearly Cuomo has not done that and I've spoken thank you sound effect <laughs> I've I've spoken to a couple of people uh, that are in the know and it, not anyone from the political action committee but uh, I've spoken to a couple of people on staff uh, local 100 and I asked them well has Cuomo signed this bill and they said he's I asked Joe Bermudez as well and he said He's going to sign it. Don't worry, he's going to sign it. This is Andrew Cuomo, okay? This is the same guy who, who, who stood next to John Samuelson in a press conference giving us this five-year contract with these minuscule raises uh, just for the sole purpose of undermining negotiations with the, with the, uh, with the Long Island Railroad workers. Mm-hmm who could go on strike legally that summer when our, when our contract was, uh, was approved. Uh-huh. And, and what's crazy we, is... We, and we, we're supposed to trust him. Exactly. Now, and who, who got into office with no union support, with almost no union support. We're cor- supposed to trust him. Correct. And, we, and what's crazy with this assault thing that you brung up, cleaners will get assaulted and think that they have protection. If it didn't pass, right. if it didn't officially pass yet... They not protected. They was lied to. You lied to them. Right. You lied. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna do an article tomorrow, and I'm gonna find because the um, they they article is probably archived on the internet. Nothing don't really disappear off the internet. So they article is probably archived, and I'm gonna post it. Just go on the uh the state website with the bills, find the bill and post it to show that it's not passed. And even I, I Jamel just passed me the um, MOU. And it says um, about the, the five years top pay, it says agreement, um, the parties further agree in no event will an employee who is hired after the ratification of, agree- of this agreement remain on a progression scale for more than five years. Now to me, a progression scale and a wage progression scale is two totally different things to me. Progression scale just means time to me. Wage progression means time and money. So something stops because in, in the other language, I believe it says wage progression. Mm-hmm. So to me, to wage me, there's a difference. There's yeah. a difference. Yeah. You know, and, you know, for the union to put that out there, that that law was passed and that you're protected. That's, right. you know, the, basically that's, um, you know, basically you're lying to the members and you're, and you're asking for trouble. Because now That's what right. so so now what if a cleaner does get assaulted or what if you have one of those cleaners that's come up on a situation and they'd be like, Man, I'm yeah, I'm protected. Go ahead, hit me and they go and they fall out and then they find out I mean it's not funny, but no. then they go and find out that they're not protected, thinking that this person's gonna get locked up. No, they're not gonna get locked up. Basically they just basically got a sucker punch off of somebody, you know. So basically that's why they shouldn't put things out there that's not true and if it didn't pass yet, you know. But you know, they expect it to pass, but it didn't. It didn't pass yet, you know. No, and and I I don't trust anything Cuomo says he's going to do unless it's on paper. Me neither. Or the MTA. I want to see it on paper. 
I, don't I think most 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 transit workers agree that anything that uh, and, uh, a lot of my fellow tra I've heard a lot of a lot of my fellow transit workers say that I don't I don't want I don't I don't believe it unless it's on paper as far as the the MTA is concerned. But give me the memo. Show me the memo. Show me where it is in black and white. Exactly. See, like I said in the oh, in the contract, wage progression is connected in every part. You don't see progression without wage, and that new MO. MOU is <laughs> progression scale, no wage progression. No wage progression. To me, there's right. a difference. Mm -hmm. there, there's a difference. I mean, these guys, we're going to do an article on that. Yeah, because like I said, they didn't, you know, when they, they were so happy to get this deal, again, they were just really the $6 million. That's all they were concerned about. They were, cause they were happy that they handed down a contract with no zeros and the $6 million, they got the $6 million. That's, you know, they weren't worried about anything else. And you know who I seen post that? Who? I seen Crystal post it. Oh, really? Which means, yes. That's how I found out about it. Oh, we won, um, we won uh, to get the bill passed and this. That means she didn't do the research. You know what I'm saying? And I, I didn't look at it either because personally I didn't. I seen it was a good thing. So I didn't. I ain't care. But Jonathan came on the show. Gave us information that the bill ain't passed. And usually I check on the bills because right. ch I'm checking on opto bills and, and things like that. Like they got a bill like that in the same position as the cleaners bill that is not, is not passed yet. And it's not like they don't know how a bill is passed because when the uh, veterans buyback bill passed, it said in the article on Local 100's website that Cuomo has signed the bill. Cuomo has signed the bill into law. So now this law is in effect. So they, they know it they they know how this works. They're they're lying to the members for the sake of grandstanding. And just like uh, when they brag about how they got no zeros, to me when you that should be completely out of the question. No zero 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 should be an absolute insult. Uh, when when you when you're a union leader and you tell me that uh, it is a victory that we didn't we didn't get no raises, that that's that's like if you're in the Olympics and you're running a race and you came in eighth, and and then you say what? Well, I didn't sit down, I ran. Right. Was well, my medal? That's like that's like in, bragging about the fact that you didn't get that that uh, we got raises. As opposed to no raises. That's like Little League where everybody gets a trophy. Exactly. That's like a participation <laughs> where's a oh, participation trophy? We participated. Right. We and sit the, down. Right. In the Olympics, like you said, right, you know, you came in eighth, but okay, at least I'm not last, you know. But I'm like, listen, you still lost. Well, no, eighth. It's I'm still eighth, eighth, you know. Last. Exactly, last. Like, I didn't sit down. I ran the race. No. Where's my medal? Exactly. So it's like, no, <laughs> you know, basically those raises did nothing those raises you don't you did not feel those raises you know one percent and one percent and basically we need to get you know basically listen the you know the reason i asked you about the revenue from the booth and it okay. is is because like i said we bring in our own money from day one basically you're talking about billions of dollars that these people get from us and from easy pass okay but you know and the thing is when it comes to these raises it's like Again, we're the most productive, so why don't we get the highest raise? Why don't we get a 20% raise? 
Okay, because like Long Island Railroad and Metro North, you know, from the federal mediation panel, I mean, they get recommended what, you know, the federal mediation uh, panel mm-hmm. gives a recommendation to the MTA right. as to what they, as to what the, as to what the Long Island Railroad or Metro North should get, okay? Based right. on the fact that, uh, you know, based on opening up the MTA's books and looking at their, and, and looking to see what's going on financially so they can afford it. So if they could do that for them, basically they could give us a 20%, you know, they could give us a little bit of a higher raise because when you talk about productivity, there's nobody more productive than we are here at New York City Transit. But we're the ones that's underpaid. Now, you're talking about this article that Tremel was talking about that was posted in Progressive Action mm-hmm. that was written by some right-wing nut job. It's like, okay, uh, I, if you read the article, a lot of that stuff is true. But at the same, but, but of course, it was written with right-wing ideologies saying that we don't deserve anything. But when you talk about salaries, our average salaries, everybody makes $60-some-thousand base salary. Okay, I know for a conductor right. sixty six thousand right now with a top top pay. Right. For a bus operator sixty seven thousand. For um a station agent it's about what, sixty four, sixty five? Something that. like that. Around that. Around that, yeah. Around that. Without any overtime. Okay. Without so, any overtime is about sixty three, sixty two, sixty three. Sixty two, sixty three. Yeah. Right. So basically, so if you decide that you don't want to do no overtime, but you just wanna go come back and forth to work and be and spend more time with your family or whatever it is you have. What do you again? That's all you have is sixty, sixty-two, sixty-three thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? To live and to work and work and live in New York City. Exactly to work and live in New York City, City. and we and we all know how expensive it is. Is more becoming to live in New York City. Like I said, Brooklyn, Brooklyn is the most expensive now. Yes. And twenty, like I said, twenty years ago, you never would. Twenty years ago, you never would have told me that. Right. Exactly. You know. And let us not forget the the power of a union lies in its members' ability to withhold its labor. Um, and the fact is that uh, federal re- federal regulations allow allow railroad workers, Long Island Railroad, Metro North workers, to strike after after they go through this process of mediation, whereas the Taylor Law does not allow us to go on strike. So when in 2014, when it stri- a strike was looming, a strike, a strike was looming at uh, Governor Cuomo needed some, some cover to, needed something to tell the Long Island Railroad workers, we accepted this five-year deal, one and two percent in April. Now in the summer, before Long Island Railroad workers are poised to strike, Legally, Andrew Cuomo can now come in and say, "Well, come on, guys, look at what the New York City transit workers took—one percent, two percent, five-year deal. They were willing to play ball. Why don't you guys play ball?" And I think that undermined uh, their negotiations. But they still got a better contract than us. I know they got high, more, better raises than us. So was, uh, they got to 17%? 17%, yes. Yeah. Well, 17%, because, uh, because if they didn't get that, they could go on strike. No, no, no union president was going to jail. Nobody was getting fined. It's perfectly legal. Exactly. 
And the, and, the, and the thing that people need to understand, and I wrote an article, and it's in Progressive Action, where I, I, I wrote an article about the Taylor Law. The Taylor Law is not just about striking, the prohibition of strikes. Okay, it's about also that, they, um, that the employer has to negotiate in good faith, okay? Right. You can't put crazy things on the table that will, you, you, in other words, you can't do things that will provoke the employees to want to go on strike. Okay, right. which is what basically happened in 2005. That's right. They were in the MTA was the Peter Calico and 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 them and and, and uh, they were in violation of the Taylor Law back then. That's right. But nobody, but nobody stressed it. Again, when people think Taylor Law, they think, oh, you can't strike, and that and that's it. Like really, <laughs> you know. Well, what, what people forget, uh, what undermined our strike, was. There are a lot of members on the road that say you know, Rod, Roger Toussaint went back, had us come back to work too soon. Don't forget, we had the international, the president of the international putting out a public statement, and you remember this, telling us to go back to work because right. the international was not supporting the strike. Mm-hmm. That, it's in the Constitution, I believe, that... that, uh, that, that well, no, it's not in the Constitution, but it's just a general principle. When you, when, when the biggest local in your in, in the in the union is doing something monumental like this, standing up to the tail law, it's you have to support it. You ha- you have to back your local up. Forget about your personal squabbles with the with the Roger Tucson, your your personal differences. Uh, because I, I understand that it was a, it was a rift. Between the international leaders and the local leaders, it, you know, to put that all aside, what's more important is building the labor movement, strengthening the labor movement, and strengthening the labor movement means when New York City transit workers are poised to shut down the city, you take you 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 support that, and you have your your the the president of your biggest locals back and they didn't do that they turned their back on roger tucson and that's one of the main reasons why that strike only lasted three days i mean how i mean if you're not if you're just a member that pretty much goes does their eight hours and comes home for the most part and maybe maybe goes to a few events doesn't complete doesn't completely shut themselves out of the union but you know, the average member sees this on television. Oh, the, the president of the union, the president of the TWU, is saying, don't, don't pay attention to what the president of your local is saying. The president of the union is saying, you should go to work. We don't support the strike. How do you think that person's supposed to react? That per- I mean, I would imagine that person would be confused. Mm-hmm. Are we on strike or not? That's that's really damaging. Yeah. Now you, you want to know what's crazy about that bill, that cleaners assault bill? It includes crossing guards, sanitation workers, city marshals, like almost um, EMTs. It includes a, a whole bunch of jobs. Okay. So it's not just MTA cleaners. It's, it's almost every everybody. And we need to get that passed. Yeah. Because uh, station cleaners uh, have to deal with a lot of unpredictable 
uh, characters on the platform between uh, homeless people that decided to make their home out of a subway platform. Um, they have to scrap and sweep behind, uh, behind uh, underneath benches that uh, these homeless people uh, decided that they're going to sleep on. And if they, they come in slight contact with these people, they might flip out. And uh, now we live in an age where they're giving out, the, the MTA is now giving out these cards from Homeland Security, uh, from Homeland Security about what, what to do uh, in, an active, in a situation where there's an active shooter. It's, if you're a station agent, you're in the booth. It's pretty simple what to do when there's an active, uh, when there's an active <laughs> st- shooter on your, on your station. Duck. Is it is bulletproof? Duck, hide it. it- um... My brother's father-in-law worked for the company, he says, that uh, made those windows. I don't, um, he, they're bullet resistant. That, that don't mean they, that, they doesn't, right. there's, right. a, there's a difference between, just to break it down to the membership, waterproof and water resistant. And I know the MTA, <laughs> I know that the MTA uh, superintendent was actually referring to these uh, booths as, bullet resistant he was careful not to say bulletproof it's a big it's a big difference the thing is if you are if you're sitting in your booth and somebody points a gun at the booth the average station agent is not going to go bulletproof glass you can't get me no i imagine knock on wood i've never been in this, this situation but i imagine uh, the na- the natural reaction would be, even though you're behind glass, is to 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 get out of the way of whatever's going to come out of that gun <laughs> that's pointed right at you. Like like when you're at a baseball game and you're and you're behind a fence behind the catcher, the ball hits the fence. Your natural reaction, even though you know that you know the baseball is not going to come through the chicken wire fence, you you pretty much are. Yeah. Confident that that baseball is not gonna go behind the, the break the chicken wire fence. You still you're like whoa. Yeah. You still see something coming at you, so you you're gonna you're gonna duck yeah. even even though you're not gonna. And most at uh, most station agents, transit workers, uh, transit workers characteristically, we are very we see the best and we see the worst of people. We are very skeptical people. We're, we're very we don't. Uh, you know, we wouldn't trust a situation like that. Most of us would duck in that yeah, situation. Exactly. But my point is that if you're a station cleaner, you're out there. You know, so you're you are vulnerable to assault and, and all kinds of and all kinds of dangers. Whereas a, a station agent, you're you're in the booth, so you're protected. So we need to we need to pass. We need to make sure this uh, law is passed for cleaners. We can't lie to the cleaners and tell them that the bill is already passed. Yeah, it's not. We need to make sure it's passed. This yeah, needed. This yeah. needs to be passed yesterday. Yeah. This. 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 We've been pushing for this bill for the past ten years. It's. It's high time yeah. that cleaners get the same protect, protection as crossing guards and EMTs. Yeah. And what's crazy was that and they, conductors. Yeah, they they got everybody up there. Train operators, they got everybody up there. Okay. And it's a class D felony which carries uh up to seven years, but nobody would never get the maximum seven years for assaulting right. anybody. But this was it was crazy with this bill. It was brought up and um 
just recently, 6-13-2016. Why has it taken so long? Like, it just, it just started taking action. And it's going to pass. I think it's going to go into law in November. That's why they're saying that the... the uh, I hope so. Because that, that's how it's going to work. It's going to go into law in November. So the, gov- the governor not going to veto it or whatever. He's going to pass it. But it should take precedence now. It, should go, it shouldn't wait to November. Well, we, we need to be involved. Um, I don't know if, if you saw, if you watched the show this week with John Oliver on HBO. Uh, he had an episode where uh, he explored why the NRA is such a powerful organization. And he said it's because they have members that look at every single gun control bill and they, they, the NRA updates their members about every single gun control bill that, that's, that's in legislation and uh, how, how it's progressing. And that you call your senator and, and they put out these notices, call your senator, call your congressman. And not just one time, but they update uh, their members on where, where it is in the process, whether, whether a bill is stalled or, or whether it's in committee. And, and they, have, they have active members. So what we need to do is, I think, station queen, I mean, transit workers in general, because uh, an injury to one is an injury to all. Correct. Uh, we need to call uh, Governor Cuomo's office and I think a state senator as well. Uh, I live in Marty Golden's district. Uh, Marty Golden is actually co-sponsoring this bill. You know what? If you live in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, uh, call... Senator Golden, thank him for, for co-sponsoring this bill. Why not? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, bring their phones off the hook and tell them you, gotta, you have to pass this bill already. It's been years that we've been trying to, we, we deserve, we as cleaners deserve the same protection as EMTs and as, as conductors. We provide a vital service of preserving the sanitary conditions of sta- of of the of subway stations. I, I, I totally agree. You got to give him a hand clap for that one. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely, you know. Yeah, but um, what was was SB a lot? Isn't the union doing work with them also? Yeah, they endorse uh, Espelot. He represents uh, parts of the Bronx. Yeah, because he's he's a co-sponsor on the bill also. So it kind of it kind of makes sense why they sponsored that guy, you know. But but we've been we've been trying to get this bill passed for a decade now. I th- I think what this bill I think what this bill needs is uh, a, an outcry from its membership. I think we we need a rank and file push on this bill. We can't just depend on um, people that take pictures with politicians in suits to uh, magically get, get something done or to pull off some political deal. If there's, if there's popular outrage against, uh, against uh, uh, dragging their feet on, on passing this bill and waiting another year and another year and another year and another year, you know, I think, I think this bill can be passed. I look, look at the $15 an hour uh, minimum wage. All of a sudden, Governor Cuomo supports it. I found that strange. 
It, it's very... Oh, actually, I don't find it strange at all. Because uh, if, if uh, you notice that the $15 an hour minimum wage, it's going to be only for uh, fast food workers. Yeah. Only for fast food workers. It's not because they love fast food. It's because those are the people that have been going on strike, demanding $15 an hour wage. It's politics. And, they, and the governor decided to support this to shut them up. They're the ones that, going, that are going on strike. And, and he's feeling the political pressure. And he's got a D next to his name. And he has to preserve an image of somebody who's being progressive. Other, otherwise, uh, Bill de Blasio is going to one-up him. And there's this, there's this yeah. constant battle yeah. between him and de Blasio. He always, he's always trying to alpha dog uh, Mayor <laughs> de Blasio. So because, it's because people are, because fast food workers are the ones that are demanding this $15 an hour minimum wage. We need to demand yeah that this is, this is passed. Otherwise, it's just going to be swept under the rug. Would you feel comfortable if Sammy sent call a strike? Would you feel comfortable going out? Uh, uh, to get this passed? Well, no, just or, in, or, gener- or in yeah, general. Cause, cause, I mean, oh, just a strike oh, in be- general. Because he said that he's not ruling out a strike for this next contract. Absolutely. Bring it on. Bring it so on. Would, so would you feel comfortable with him leading the strike? Well, I, you know... I, I criticize, I, I, you know, we call criticism of John Samuelson, I like to call it encouragement. I, I want my <laughs> president to be strong. I want my president to be a strong leader. You know, I, 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 wish, I wish he was uh, stronger. You know, I, I don't want him to be weak. When I criticize John Samuelson, it's out of love for my union. <laughs> you know, be a strong leader. Come on. You're my union brother. You got to do better than this. Well, you know, and, he, and he's right. If, he's right. But you know, if if our membership decide because the membership has it's ultimately it's the membership's decision. It's our decision whether we go on strike or not. Right. The, the e-board. The e-board has to has to vote on it, Which and then law? we and then we have to vote on it. Correct. And if my fellow members want to go on strike, then I then whether I voted yes or no, I, I'm I'm going to be behind my fellow members. Like I said. I don't, I don't cross picket lines. Yeah. You know, the thing with Samuelson is that, listen, you know, it's, all, it's a beautiful thing. You know, you want your president to be strong. You want him to be tough and everything. But guess what? When you, you know, when you owe the governor and when the governor has his, 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 his hands on his nuts, then basically how, how strong can he be? Exactly. How strong can he be? I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but and we, basically. We talking about a president that want to get on the MTA board. Exactly. Well, he is on the uh, MTA yeah. board. Is he? Yeah. Or yes. He, or uh, no, I thought they said that uh, Cuomo nominated him. Is it official? I mean, if Cuomo if Cuomo nominates him, more than likely it's gonna go. When is it taking effect? I don't know. And w- the problem I have with with this guy, I wouldn't feel comfortable going on strike for the simple fact he's lying. He's been organizing internally and externally for seven years it's a contract year there hasn't been no sign of organization forget about the negotiating of the contract in november there's no rule on when you should start organizing the organizing should have started right after the election your election is over you won we got it now let's start organizing contract coming up let's get it together when are you gonna start organizing the with 
the level at which this the membership is demoralized from um, the no the no vote from 2005 and and having to wait a year uh, to get the contract and 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 then the layoffs and the dues and uh, the Jews the dues checkoff being lost. I. I Organizing the members, it, it's not going to take just a few months. You know, this is something that, that, that should have gotten started years ago. Well, he really said organizing he was doing the members towards a strike. He that takes he, years. He said he was doing it for the past seven years. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. In <laughs> exactly. I'm certainly exactly. Not seeing yeah. it exactly. In stations. He's not. It's not in RTO. And Where's that MOW? Lord knows, it ain't in Map Store. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's lying to the membership, and he's not being honest. How you gonna be a president and you not being honest with the membership? You're not being honest. You have to be. You have to be honest. You have to. You have to. You can't just. You can't just claim everything is a victory. That I mean, that shows a lack of confidence. <laughs> that shows a lack of confidence in your own leadership because you have to declare. You have to declare. You, you, that that shows a desperate grasp at some victory. And what that tells me is that you don't see any victories in in your in the future in your tenure. Is you you see yourself having accomplished nothing uh, in in this union as as union president. You're de you're just uh, I f I see a desperation to grasp on in anything and call it a victory when you when you uh, when you're just calling anything a victory when you grandstand like that. It shows it's to me that shows a weakness. There you go. See, and they think that we have, we didn't know Jonathan Beatrice's stance on Samuelson. We didn't know if he was a true supporter, advocate, or, you know, he, he was a hater of Samuelson, so to speak. He's coming in, like, in the middle to me. He want to see greatness, just like we want to see greatness, you know. And, and, and he's not, you know, talking down to Samuelson. He's talking about his experience. He was one of the guys who was laid off. Right. He's one of the guys who he, he read the contract. He looked at the language of the contract and said something something isn't right here. They 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 fucked us over basically. Mm -hmm. The MTA. The MTA is not to be trusted. We see it. And 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 we but we got reps, people in the in, in one ninety five Montague Street telling us, Oh, MTA ain't gonna do this, it's common sense. They don't operate off of common sense. Bottom line. I mean, if anybody should be more concerned about uh, the no layoff clause, say, th this myth that they propagated about the no layoff clause being given up, who should be more concerned with that than someone like me who is, who is laid off? And I, I am not defending uh, the previous... I, I, don't, I, I don't gain anything from defending uh, the previous administration. Roger Toussaint is retired <laughs> right? he's retired exactly if, and as a matter of fact you know i mean because in the past when when i became a shop student when i first became a shop student i was reading the contract and what really impressed me about roger tucson was when i read just from reading the contract from reading what we gained in 2002 without a strike I was a training and upgrading fund, a child care fund, um, raising, raising the wages of provisional trainees, 
They were making minimum wage. That's right. And they abolished that. This was all in the same contract without a strike. Without a just with the just with the, I, I thought this is a guy whose brain I'd love to pick. Mm-hmm. What what did he do? Um, and that's that is an honest analysis of this of this person's leadership. And when I when and uh, the people that are that are in office right now, I remember when they were uh, when they were going to. Um, division meetings every month and they were the naysayers sitting in the back and and interrupting Jamal Chisholm who was the division chair then and just 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 heckling her in the middle in the middle of meetings um, to just to disrespect just to say no and criticize everything that Roger Toussaint and uh, everything that everyone who ran with him was doing and uh, you know when they see, they see this guy, this new guy who was a couple of years on the job, and he's a shop steward, and he and he's always working at the union, and he's being put on release time. They, they look at me, they say, "Oh, he's he's kissing Roger's ass." But here I am, years later, still uh, expressing my honest analysis of uh, Roger Toussaint's leadership. I have nothing to gain from it. I mean, I could get a job doing what? Do, do, doing, doing what? Roger Toussaint is retired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, it's almost time for us to okay. wrap up. We want you to, to leave the people mm-hmm. with, a, with a final word. This, this is your union. Get involved. Uh, no matter what, who is in the leadership, uh, they can't do any of this alone. Um, we all pay dues. We should all pay our dues. The, the leaders, they pay the same dues as we do. You know, our, our power is not only in our, not only in our ability to strike, but in our collective voices. You know, call the governor, call your state senator, attend a rally, get involved. You know, our power is in our numbers. We have to use it. There you go, Jonathan Beaches. What do you want to say, Cuz, before we go? Well, um, you know, basically to piggyback off of that, uh, you know, this is an excellent show. And basically, I really hope that uh, the people who listen to this show uh, will take into account everything that we talked about and take into account about the um, the mishaps of this administration and the, the, the memorandum of understanding and you know, take time to sit down and thumb through it and read it. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to read it like a through a fine. Well, I mean, it would be nice for us all to read it with a fine tooth comb. You right. know, but basically, just give a glance at it from time to time. You know, management wants you to. You know, management wants the. Uh, you know, when they give you the rule book, they want you to carry it. Okay, it's a rule where they would. They want you to carry the rule book on you. Okay, so why not carry the contract with you? So that you can reference these things and know and know when your rights are being violated, you know you can reference the contract when it comes to your rights overall. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I mean when I say, you know, the name of the game is about being proactive and not reactive. Okay, you know uh, these things with these grievances and these medical appeals and these uh, safety resolution forms and you know uh, you know if you get hurt on the job or whatever. Everybody should know what you know. Everybody should know what their rights are and what to do, you know. Um, 
and again, the mishaps of this administration, like I said, we do talk about it, and you know, but on a progressive action show, we do want to progress. So that's what I mean when I say one step forward in progressing is all the members getting involved and all the members knowing what's going on. Because without the membership, then the union is nothing. The membership also has to understand that you have a voice and when it comes to voting, you know, earlier I spoke about voting, you know, voting for friends and stuff like that. That voting power is is serious and you you have the power to put somebody in office that's really going to do what they're supposed to do, okay? A team like Joe Campbell and Harry Wills, that would have been a knockout team because you hear these brothers, you know, you hear these union brothers come on here and speak on progressive action. You hear them speak. So basically these guys talk with clarity. They know what they're talking about. When you ask them something, they don't even have to reference the contract. They know it already, okay, from years of experience. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I mean when I say this is what everybody needs to think about when these questions arise and when you and when you listen to progressive action and when you and when you and when you want to know what's going on well you know so like i said i guess uh that's all i have to say what about you cuz um at, like i said at this point in time we deserve the best in leadership we 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 deserve experience we deserve true fighters the way i see it if you want the rainbow you got to put up with the rain we didn't, we've been putting up with too much rain. Where's our rainbow? And I'm going to leave y'all with that. Uh, tune into the website, progressiveaction.info. Um, Facebook, Progressive Action. Uh, Instagram, Progressive Action. Uh, Twitter, Progressive Act. Thanks, I, thank our guest, Jonathan Beatrice. He came with a lot of information. I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you for having me. Th thanks for stopping by. Well, that was the Progressive Action Show for today. Thanks for tuning in, people. Peace.